Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find your place in the New Testament book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. We are in week 2 of this verse-by-verse study of 2 Peter, so if you're new, you're not very far behind, you get caught up. Uh, encourage everyone, as we're walking through this great letter of how you can get the most out of 2 Peter, uh, there's a reading plan you can follow. You'll find that online on the app. Uh, I encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, every week, we're going to be gathered in here going verse by verse, methodically through this great letter. I encourage you to prioritize the gathering and be here and study on your own. There's resources available for you. You can check those out downstairs uh, as you continue as we walk through this great New Testament letter of 2 Peter. So before I jump in, we're going to read, we're, we're only going to get through about the first four verses this morning, but before I do that, let me, let me frame for you again the, this letter and why we're in this, what it's all about, what Peter is trying to communicate under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, 2 Peter is a letter written by the hand of the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, the leader of the Twelve. We call him the foot and mouth apostle, right? Always messing up, always saying the wrong thing, but used mightily by God. This letter was written somewhere around 30 to 35 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension into heaven. So Peter has been living the life of this apostle, or as an apostle, post resurrection, now for about 30 years. He's got some bumps and bruises and experiences. He writes now to this group of believers, the same group of believers he was writing to in the first letter. We, we refer to those as the elect exiles. That's how he writes to them in 1 Peter. It's this group of believers scattered across the Roman Empire. They've been called out of the world. We say this almost every week, but very much left in the world to live faithfully, to walk with Jesus. To make him known. So Peter writes to encourage and strengthen and challenge these believers in this now his second letter. This letter of 2 Peter. Now if you haven't been reading through and again I encourage you to read through. encourage you to read through the whole book in one setting to get the, the big picture. This flow of thought of what Peter is saying here. Peter is writing first. He writes with great urgency. See, as Peter writes this letter, remember, he knows he's about to die. So you literally have the thoughts of this apostle who knows his death is imminent. We know that from chapter 1, 13 through 15. He says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus has made known to me. He said, because I know my days are few... He said, I've made every effort that after my departure you will have these truths. So he says, I'm writing this letter to you so that after I'm gone, you'll know these great truths. And here we are 2,000 years later reading this letter from Peter. He writes this letter with deep concern. There's something of deep concern in the heart and the mind of the Apostle Peter. For the disciples then and for the disciples now, you and me. We find that concern right in the middle of the letter, chapter 2, verse 1. He, he says there were false prophets among the people in the past. He says there will be false prophets among you. 
There will be peddlers of lies and deceit among you, around you, next to you. And he says, I'm writing this letter out of deep concern. 2 Peter 3.17, he tells you really the, the reason he's writing and following that. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing there's going to be liars around you, deception around you, you're going to be in a, a sea of falsehood. He says, take care. Wake up. Be on the alert. That you are not carried away. That you are not led astray with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. What a great word 2,000 years ago. What a great word for us today in 2022. In the sea of lies and deception that's out there. Watch. And maybe the sea of lies that might be right next to you. And sometimes even flowing out of our own heart. So he says, wake up. Now... You may not know this, but Peter is also writing from great personal experience. See, Peter, the great apostle himself, knows what it's like to be led astray by deception. Now, I'm not going to take time to read all this. You can read it on your own. But in Galatians chapter 2, we have an account where Peter was in Antioch. A group of religious leaders came up from Jerusalem... They were teaching half-truths about the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And scripture tells us in Galatians 2 that because of that, Peter was carried away. Same word. Carried away in their own hypocrisy. He began to think different. He began to act different because of this deception that began to enter in. Peter, by experience, knows what it's like to be led astray. And even there in Galatians, listen to this, Galatians 2.13, it says, And the rest of the Jews who were there acted hypocritically along with Peter, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter's writing from experience. I, just, I read that, I was reminded of that this week, and I was reminded of this. The source, when we talk about false teaching, don't you think about some dark, shadowy figure on the other side of the country or just on the screen? Might be right next to you. Could be any of us who begin to take the truths of Scripture and instead of holding out exactly what the Word of God says, we slightly twist it or distort it and can lead ourselves and others astray. So Peter speaks with great urgency, great concern, even personal experience about this thing of Beware. Take care. Now, he also gives the defense against falsehood. He ends the letter like this. I want to read this, and then we're going to kick back to the beginning of the letter. So listen to what he says. He says, but grow. Your defense against falsehood is to be continually growing. Growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mark that word knowledge. He's going to use that throughout the letter. We'll talk about it in just a minute. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So Peter says false teachers are coming. They're around you. Here's the answer is to be continually growing in the truth and the knowledge of who Jesus is. And he writes this letter and he teaches us about our sufficiency in Christ. He's going to teach us about what it means to grow in sanctification. He's going to teach us about the trustworthiness of Scripture. He's going to teach us, and we'll get there in a few weeks, about the absolute certainty of the second coming of Christ. 
Now this morning, we're only, like I said, only going to get through the first four verses. And here's basically the big idea of those four verses is the believer's sufficiency in Christ. The believer, our sufficiency in the person of Christ. Now look with me, verse 1, I'm going to read down through the first four verses and then we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning, all right? Everybody with me? Everybody with me? All right, good. Here we go. Verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I love that verse 1. You see true spiritual leadership. You see humility. He says, I'm a servant. And he says, I'm an apostle mixed with authority. True spiritual leadership. To those, he says, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. What's the basis of that faith? He says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The basis and standing of our faith is not my righteousness, not your goodness, not my efforts. It is the righteousness of King Jesus and his righteousness alone. Verse 2, Peter's prayer. Sometimes we read along in these letters and we think this is just kind of a throwaway greeting. Peter says this. A lot of the letters begin this way. It's not that at all. Look at verse 2. He says, may grace... And peace be multiplied to you. It's that idea, again, same how he ends the letter. He's going to begin the letter and say, I pray that you're growing. And it's multiplying in you this grace and peace. How? In the knowledge, there's that word again, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember that at the end of the letter, it says the same thing at the beginning of the letter. It's the theme throughout. That you would be growing in grace. That you would be continually, that we would be continually growing in this knowledge of Jesus. Now stop right there for just a second. Sometimes we hear that word knowledge and we kind of check out and we think, oh, you're just, you're just talking about head knowledge. No, it's much, much more biblically. This word here, knowledge, is used throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible. It's this idea of of not just mere head knowledge, not, not just knowing the next fact about Jesus, although it's based on the truth of who Jesus is, but it's this, this knowledge of intimacy, this knowledge of fellowship with him. It is so much more than just knowing about Jesus. It is continuing to grow in your intimate, abiding, communing worship of who Jesus is. It's this ever-increasing relational sharing, intimacy, communion. That the truth of who Jesus is is transforming us and grabbing our lives. Listen, that we know him. And we continue to grow to know him more and more. And Peter is saying, that's what I want for you. He says, may you be multiplied in this grace and peace that come as we grow in this knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, how do we do that? Verse 3. He says, his divine power has granted to us All things pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through, here's this word again, the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, 
you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I said this a few weeks ago, or maybe last week when we started, it's become convictional to me personally as I've read through this and studied through this now for months. If by the power of the Spirit we get our mind around these first four verses and our hearts are shaped by these first four verses, it will be overflowing joy in the life of every believer. He makes a statement here, and this is going to be our big truth this morning, and I want us to circle around this big truth that comes right out of verse 3. Here's what Peter is declaring to these disciples then and to us. It's this. Your big truth this morning is that God has given. God by his grace and in his mercy and in his love has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Wow. See, Peter knows that if you don't realize that in Christ, All that has already been entrusted to you, the resources that are yours because of Christ in you, then you will be looking for the next great thing. And you will be unstable and easily shaken by the next lie that comes down the pike. And he's declaring here, and man, this anchor in this this morning, that God for the believer, Christ in you, has already given us everything needed for this life that he's entrusted to us and this godliness that we're to pursue. Beware the deceivers. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. How is that possible? He's given you everything in Christ pertaining to life and godliness. Beloved, that is good news this morning. That is good news. Everything pertaining to life, it's the idea that This life of God that began the moment we turned in faith and repentance. It's the very life of God in us. And everything necessary to begin that life, to sustain that eternal life, and to endure until Jesus comes in this thing called eternal life, you've already received that in Christ. He's given it to you. Everything pertaining to godliness. Godliness is this attitude, this posture toward God of awe and worship and who he is watch that then flows out into every area of our lives and listen if you're really honest you're like me you say lord how do i really live this christian life how do i walk in godliness daily because when when i look to myself all i do is fail i don't have the resources no you don't but you have them in christ and he is entrusted to us everything pertaining to this life that he's called us to this life of Christ in us and to walk in this life of godliness one commentator said another way of saying that this life of God in us is what we were created for and the life of God flowing out of us for his glory Peter wants you to know something beloved Holy Spirit of God wants you to know something this morning, that when you became a believer and you trusted Christ by the presence of the Spirit of God in you, you were entrusted with every resource necessary for you to continue to know God, walk in Him, and be sustained, pursue godliness, walk in godliness to His glory until Jesus returns. You have already been given that in Christ. So you don't have to look for the next best thing that comes down the pike. 
You don't have to be susceptible to the next secret that comes along or the next great blessing that might be yours. Or, oh, if you could just see this great demonstration of power. Or, oh, if you just could experience this. Peter says, you have already received in Christ everything pertaining to this life and godliness to which you were called. You say, okay, my, how does that work its way out? And what does that look like in our life? Well, let's try to press this out because in these few verses, he shows you at least three things that you have already been granted. They are gifts of his grace, and we are to continue to grow in these. I want to show you these three things this morning that he's already given us. Number one, here's the question. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to try to give you a big truth, and then we're going to look at it from Scripture. So number one is this. How did this life in Christ begin? Peter answers that here. Back in verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained. Circle that word if you write in your Bible. We we have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Peter says, if you're a believer, you have obtained a faith. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. It was granted by his grace. In fact, now watch this. This is huge. The word obtained here is, it's really derived from a Hebrew word that, that connects with, with the casting of lots. You say, Pastor Mike, I have no idea what you're talking about. In the Hebrew mind, the understanding was that you could cast lots to determine and the divine will of God would be revealed through the casting of lots. You you would cast them, but God was behind all of it. It was his sovereign choice and will. So by using this word, here's what Peter is saying. He's saying that the faith that you have as a believer did not start with you. It was not initiated by you. It was granted to you in God's sovereign divine will. You have been given this saving faith. And that's your first big idea I want you to see this morning. We have been given saving faith. Now this is huge for you and me this morning. Peter from the very beginning wants you to know those who are true believers, your faith did not begin with a feeling you had one morning. Therefore it will not pass, watch, if you don't have that same feeling tomorrow. Saving faith is not rooted in the emotion you might have the day you prayed to receive Christ or whatever. And a month from now that emotion's gone. Well, I don't know if I'm a true believer or not. Peter wants you to be more rooted in the faith that you have received than your next emotion or your next whim. See? So he says this glorious reality. If you're here and you're a believer, it is because of the sovereign, gracious choice by God who has brought you unto himself by his own choice. And we can rest in that grace of God. See, so you say, wait a minute, Pastor Mike, then if it's, it's all of God, then how does someone ever become a Christian? We express faith and, and repentance in Christ, right? Absolutely. But it works like this. By God's grace given to you and to us, your eyes become open to your own brokenness, your own sinfulness, your own rebellion, your own desperate need of a Savior. And in His grace, your eyes are opened to the Savior, 
to our sin bearer, to this one in all glory who is named Jesus, who is our only hope to ever be reconciled to God. You didn't come up with that on your own. You didn't even realize that. That was the grace of God. And the grace of God empowers one to even believe and respond in faith and trust in Jesus alone and respond in absolute repentance of turning from my sin and turning from trusting myself and receiving and believing in this gift that is Jesus Christ. And it is not based on your next feeling. It is not based on your next emotion. It is the gift of almighty, sovereign, holy God. To him be the glory. See, God, by his grace, initiated your faith. God, by his grace, sustains our faith. And God, by his grace, we will persevere in this faith. And Peter says, I want you to know that. You have been given that. It is evidenced by a transformed life. It is evidenced by faith and repentance, if it's real. But Peter says, it's not based on your next emotion. It's not based on your next feeling. It is rooted in the sovereign, gracious work of God Almighty. See that? It's huge. So Peter wants us to know God has given us everything needed for life and godliness. That's how this faith begins. Then he goes on. He says, okay, well, how do we continue in Christ? Remember, because Peter wants you to grow. Peter wants us to grow. He says, how do we then continue in Christ? Look at verse 3. His divine power. There's your answer. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Not only have we been given saving faith, he says in verse 3, we have been given divine power. Listen, beloved, you and I, by the nature of the Spirit of Christ in us, have been granted full access to the divine power of God to live this thing called the Christian life, to walk in obedience, to follow Him, to know Him, to serve, to love, to forgive. Christianity is not an outside-in dynamic. You understand that, right? Well, if I can just follow this code and this rule and this regulation and do this next right thing. No, it is the Spirit of God in us that enables us by His power to live this thing called following Christ. We live by His power. You can mark some of these verses down. Look them up on your own. I'll give you these quickly. Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now to Him who is able... To do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, For this purpose I labor and strive according to His power that mightily works within me. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Peter's saying, listen, beloved, you don't have to go looking for the next power experience out there somewhere. You don't have to trust your own power. God has entrusted to us his own power in the person of the very spirit of God living within us. We have been given divine power. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he prays for the believers. And this is a great prayer to pray over your own life, pray over your children, pray over one another. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. He's praying for these fellow believers. Jump ahead to verse 18. He says, I'm praying that you may know what is the hope to which he calls you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, and catch this, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul says, I'm praying that you would continue to grow in your understanding and appropriating the power of God that's been entrusted to you to live the Christian life and quit trusting your own abilities. Quit looking for the next great thing. Don't be susceptible to this lie that's going to come along and say, no, you look outside of Jesus. No, Peter says, everything has already been given to you in Christ. He's given you saving faith and he's given you power to live this Christian life. Now, pause. So Pastor Mike, is there any help here for us to understand? Okay, I I get what Peter's saying, that he's entrusted us with power, but sometimes I don't feel very powerful. Sometimes I don't know how to appropriate this power. What does that look like? Back to verse 3, look at it again. The Bible interprets the Bible. Keep reading. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How do we access it? How do we live in it? How do we walk in it? Next phrase. Through. Circle that word. Through. Here's the means. The knowledge of him. (laughs) Say, what do you mean? That's that word Peter uses over and over. This knowledge of him. You talk about more facts? Well, I am talking about growing in the truth of who Jesus is. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. Peter is saying, as you continue to grow in your intimate fellowship with Christ and you're overwhelmed with who he is as he makes himself known, you grow in intimacy and communion with him, then that's the way you walk in power. It's about Christ. It's about growing in him. False teachers can come and tell you whatever source they want, whatever method they want. Peter is saying, no, we grow, we access power, there's life, there's godliness as we walk and know this Jesus that's in us by faith. Isn't that glorious? He says it's through our knowledge and our growing to know Jesus more and more and more. You want to hear something? This is huge. Peter's talking about all this power here. Listen, the point is not power. The goal is not about power. By the way, if you listen to a teacher, you read books, and all they want to talk about is power, beware, because Peter says, listen, you've been granted power, but it's not about power. It's about a person and his name is Jesus. And the power that you have been granted is so that you will know him more and more and more and more and grow in Christ's likeness. Beware of someone who wants to know Jesus so that they can have more power. Peter says genuine faith is as we know him and grow in our intimate fellowship with this great God, then there is power that is released. And the ultimate goal of that power? You know what the ultimate goal of that power in our life is? Say, I don't have any idea. Guess what? Right here, verse 3. Look at it. Through the knowledge, middle of the verse, of him who 
called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, we are given this power to see Jesus for who he is in all of his glory. That's speaking of his divinity. Glory is used as a word to describe God alone. He says Jesus is full of glory because he's God. Excellence. This is incredible. Excellence is a word used by the Greeks in that culture to define perfect virtue, perfect character, the sum of all desirable character qualities. In that culture, they would use the word excellence. Here's what Peter's saying. You're being given the power to behold him as who he is and that he's fully God and at the same time, the perfect God man. You want to know what a perfect man looks like? You behold the excellencies of Jesus. And as we behold him, we grow. Peter says this power that you've been given is to know him and behold him and walk with him. And as you behold his glory, as he makes himself known in scripture, you are overwhelmed by his beauty and you are attracted to him and you desire him above all things. And whatever you behold in your life, that's what you become like. Whatever most has your attention and your affection, that's what you'll become like. And Peter says, we've been given the power to behold Jesus, his glory, his excellencies. And as we do that, we progressively and most assuredly become more and more like him. Here's the point. We've been given power to know God. J.I. Packer in one of the I think great books of our generation called Knowing God said it this way. Read this quickly. He says, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves to in this life? To know God. What is this eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowing God. And once we become more aware that this is the main business that we are called to here and now and forever is to know God, most of life's issues and problems simply fall into place. Peter says you've been given this faith, you've been given this power, and the aim is that you would know him in this intimate, communing, abiding, growing thing called a relationship with Christ. See that? So you've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Been granted faith. Been given this divine power. Finally and thirdly, we'll wrap up with this. So how do we endure? Peter's mind here seems to begin when faith begins. And then it seems to move to, to how we grow. And then he seems to move to, okay, here's how we endure. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. He says, His divine power is granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. And then verse 4, this is incredible. By which, or the means being His excellency, His glory, His beauty, He has granted to us, there's that word again, He's given us something, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become, this is future tense, partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of lust or sinful desire. Here's your third and final big idea is this. We have been given great and precious promises. Our hope is built in these promises that have been entrusted to us. You've been given everything. You've been given faith. You've been given power. He said he's entrusted to you these great and precious promises throughout Scripture. And you know some of them. Some of them come to your mind. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God causes all things to work together for good. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of our sin. Draw near to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and grace to find help in time of need and on and on and on. The New Testament especially is filled with these promises. Now, I do think Peter here has in mind a particular kind of promise in mind. Not just the broad promises in the context. Peter What particular promises are you talking about that have been entrusted to us? Here's what I think Peter's saying. Now watch this. There is a mark of every genuine believer that will be demonstrated in your life if you truly know Christ. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. John talks about it. And it's this. If you know Christ, there is a hunger and a desire in you to be more and more and more like Jesus. We desire that our life is less characterized by sin and rebellion and the things of the world. And we're growing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And you and I both have moments and times in our life where we go, am I making any progress, right? I seem to be stumbling more than I'm moving forward. Am I making progress? That desire is there. That hunger is there. And Peter is saying, there are promises given in the word of God to every believer that says, there is a day that you will become full, watch, partakers of the divine nature There's a day you'll be fully made like Christ. There's a day there will be no sin that characterizes your life. There will be a day that the full glory of who Jesus is, not God, we never become God, but we become fully man like him for his glory. And Peter says, listen, here's how you endure. Here's how we press on in those moments of discouragement and failure. And are we ever going to make it? There are promises given to us. And right here it is, verse 4. It says these promises are given to us that we, through these promises, we hold on to these promises. There will be a day that we become partakers of the divine nature. And that we will escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Meaning, the word corruption means decay. He's saying the world is continuing to decay. Our flesh is continuing to decay. There will be a day that we escape fully from that. And we are taken to be with him forever. And all the struggles will come to an end. And we will be made like Jesus forever. And we will glorify him forever and ever. And if you're a true believer, you desire that. And you long for that. Peter is speaking of that real union with Jesus Christ that begins at conversion and continually progresses through our Christian life and will not ultimately and fully be recognized until Jesus comes again. 
we are being made like him and we will be fully like him when Christ returns and in the process now we long to grow and his power has been granted to us first John chapter 3 verse 2 says it this way beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we will see him just as he is hallelujah what a savior and peter says you have been granted promise after promise after promise in scripture that you cling to to know there will be a day this longing in us to be more like christ put there by the spirit of god will be fulfilled we can endure through now I want to ask one final question this morning and the team can just come on up and begin to play as we move into time response but don't check out don't start putting your stuff away just hang with me all right Peter why is this here at this point in the letter particularly why is this point here about enduring and about growing and, and why do you put this here and I think one of the reasons he puts this here is for you and I to be reminded watch there is no fast track to Christ-likeness. See, one of the things that the false teachers and one of the things that maybe even those next to us want to try to convince us of is, wait a minute, you really can avoid that suffering. Wait a minute, you really don't have to walk in that full obedience. Wait a minute, is that much devotion really necessary? I mean, isn't this life just to kind of cruise along until Jesus returns? And if we have that kind of thinking, we are susceptible to the lie of false teaching. And Peter's saying, listen, there's no fast track to Christ's likeness. That in this life, there will be the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. But we hold on to the promises of God that says, you are God's child. There will be a day you will be made fully like him. But until then, and we're going to see this next week, verse 5, we are diligent to continue to grow. And by his power, we want to continue to persevere. But don't you buy into some lie that says, well, there's a fast track to godliness and there's a fast track to Christ-likeness. Avoid suffering. Avoid pain. Avoid repentance. Avoid all. It's just too much. No, 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 no. We walk in the faith and the power and the promises of God because we long to be like him and to know him above all things. That's the mark of a true believer. Peter says, and he wants us to be reminded again, that God has given us, he's already given us, everything needed for life and godliness. He's granted you saving faith if you're here and you're a genuine believer. It's a gift. You have access to his unlimited power, Christ in us, to know him and to become more like him. And you have great and precious promises we hold on to and we endure until Jesus returns and Peter would say but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and forever and ever and ever amen you just bow your head for a minute this morning in a time of response just right there in your seat 
heard the word of God this morning. I pray been challenged by the truth of God's word. Some of you may need to wrestle with the question this morning, have I been born again? Do I know this Jesus at all? Maybe for the first time in your life, even this morning, there's, there is that awareness of your brokenness and your sin and your separation from God. And this morning, right now, after hearing the message of the gospel, the call to you is to repent, turn, believe in Jesus and Jesus alone and receive life. Maybe you're here and you've been buying the next lie that comes along. Well, if I just had this, this next thing or, or this next blessing or this next power experience or whatever it is. Word of God says you've already been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness according to a true knowledge of him who calls you to his own glory and Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray for my brothers and sisters that the word of God will not return void. You will take this and work in our hearts and we will be more like you. And send us out to live this life of godliness by your power that others will see the beauty of Jesus in us and long to come to know you as well. In the name of Christ we pray.